Norfolk Southern is delivering a low carbon economy, which benefits everyone. We're providing customers a way to significantly reduce their supply chain transportation emissions and improve air quality in our communities. As the first class one railroad to offer green bonds, I can tell you, we're not just in the business of moving freight. We are in the business of a better planet. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hello and welcome to Net Zero Carbon. I'm Tyler Cole and this is the show at Freight Waves where we focus on the information, insights and inspiration in sustainability around the transportation sector. Today I'm joined by David Carell from MIT, Center for Transportation and Logistics. David, welcome. Hey, thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of this. As am I. I'm excited to, to have connected and nailed you down. You, uh, you and I go way back to last year when I was taking some online coursework in MIT's MicroMasters and uh, supply chain management. Thank you, by the way. It was, it was fantastic. I recommend it to all listeners. Thank you um, and congratulations. That is, we don't make it easy. And the people that make it through impressed me very much. So <laughs> big congratulations and thank you for all the time you gave us. <laughs> Likewise. Can you give, uh, give our listeners a rundown of your role, Path to MIT, and, and what you do there today? Sure. So uh, my name is David Carell. I'm a research scientist and lecturer at the MIT Center for Transportation and Logistics. Uh, so what I do there on, on the research side is a couple of projects. I'm co-director of something called the MIT Freight Lab, which is our lab for studying freight movements internationally and domestically. But I'd say most, you know, most of our work these days is around domestic truck research. Uh, I'm also an instructor, so I design and lead our procurement strategy courses for our master's in supply chain management program. And then I also do our uh, online supply chain technology and systems course, where I had the good pleasure of working with Tyler on, on that. I'm originally from Iowa, so I, I came up uh, in Iowa and did a lot of my early work around agricultural systems and agricultural logistics. And now you know, I get to study logistics of all sorts. And, you know, we certainly align on the uh, the Midwest biofuels sector, as that was my prior role to joining Freightways. I know you and I have discussed that and might discuss it further at length in this interview. So um, the reason we're here, right, is to discuss MIT's latest findings, the research paper that came out on the state of sustainability and supply chains, um, of which you are now taking the research lead, right? Can you give us a little bit of insight as to, uh, let's save the findings, but let's talk about what the report is, why it started, what the boundaries are and what we can learn from it. Great, happy to. Uh, yeah, so it's our annual State of Supply Chain Sustainability Survey Report. Um, we just released our second year, and, and you know, like you said, I'm coming in as the research lead. You know, I started a couple months ago and we'll be taking it into the third year. Uh, it's a project we jointly present with our partner on this, the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals, and our five corporate research sponsors. What it really is is a, you know, our attempt to survey global supply chain professionals about what's on their mind with supply chain sustainability. And I think one of the, the most interesting things about it in the second year, and you know, I'm really excited to be taking the ball forward on it, it, it seems simple, but it gives, I think it gives us most of our value, is that we ask the same question now two years in a row, and then we'll ask the same question three years in a row to the global supply chain community, which gives us, you know, a measure over time of, of how people's thinking about sustainability 
you know, might evolve or might codify in one place, but it's really a, a research instrument for doing that. Perfect. That's a great recap. Why is this important to David, briefly? Sustainability in supply chain. You know, I, I, I've always always been motivated to think about, um, I'll use sort of my mathematical terminology here, but to think about a more complicated objective function than just, you know, minimizing price or maximizing profit. I've always, in, in all of my research endeavors, thought that it was more interesting and more satisfying to have the more complicated objective function. So, you know, it makes the math harder, but to think about, you know, we want to, we want to cover our costs. We want to be as profitable as we can, but we also want to be thinking about minimizing the environmental footprint of our activities or thinking about maximizing the social reach of our activities. So just from, you know, the, the point of view of, of making things harder, <laughs> I, I just personally, my, my personality likes that. And, <laughs> And then also, you know, I'm, I'm in sort of an amateur ecologist, like like a lot of folks. I most of the best and most memorable times in my life are being outdoors and in nature with my family. And and once you do that, then I think your reverence for the natural world grows, and your scope of concern for our human influence on it grows too. And so that sits me right in this place where I say, wow, I I research supply chains. I, I try to have some analytical ability to bring to those conversations. So let's bring that ability and that that passion to to all of our research projects, you know, including and especially this this survey one. That's wonderful. And I can certainly relate to you on that front, not being much of an ecologist, but having a great reverence for nature and creation and recognizing things may be different today than they were as we grew up, right? I'm sitting here getting notices today about soccer being canceled for my son because of extreme temperatures here outside of Nashville. And I don't, you know, maybe because I was seven. Um, or maybe because it didn't happen as much. I don't remember having can practices canceled when I was a kid for those sort of things. So I, I certainly admire aligning your interests and your passion with your abilities. And, and I'm happy, happy that we get to talk about this subject that we're both passionate about. That stuff happens. You know, my, my kids, we were talking about kids earlier, aren't old enough for soccer practice, but I'm, I'm excited for <laughs> when they are. But, you know, a similar one um, growing up in Iowa, you know, when we think about like how safe is it to play in what we would call farm creeks or farm creeks, people would say, you know, when I was younger, it was part of, I think, rural life. And now we have to think about, you know, how, how what is the quality of that water given the industrial agriculture that we're practicing? And I think about how different it is for, you know, kids growing up in Iowa now compared to when I did and, and how all of that is a real effect of the production choices we make and the supply chain choices we make. Absolutely. Way to drill that right back upstream to the report, too. <laughs> I can't help so it. I you, can't help you, it. You've done this before. <laughs> well, let's let's dive into some of the findings that you found, you know, exceptionally interesting. Um, I had sent over some some thoughts that I had, and I've got the report pulled up here as well. But I'm interested, you know, maybe two or three of your your high level findings. And um, and I know the report and, and our listeners will know that sustainability and, and ESG goals have a very broad broad application across all sectors, almost all business, right? So, um, you know, maybe let's dive into freight facing um, parts of the report. Maybe we just start with commitments, right? Maybe that's a good place to start. Yeah, no, it's, there, there were some real standout things from the report that both, you know, surprised our research team. And, and I should say, you know, I'm just one member of this research team. A lot of folks, the, uh, my colleague, Alexis Bateman, really started this project and she's now 
doing great things. Um, you know, with, she left, and so now she's with another company doing things. Uh, and and the whole research team: Kellen Betts, Arthur Grau, Dan McCool, Ken Cottrell. I want to make sure I, I don't make it look like I did the whole report. <laughs> anyway, when the report came back, uh, I think we were all surprised by a few things. One of them that we straight up asked the questions to our respondents. During COVID-19, did your firm's commitment to supply chain sustainability you know, decrease, increase, stay the same? And I think we thought that most respondents would take this opportunity to say it decreased because the their response is anonymous. And I think it's, we thought that the respondents might use this opportunity to say like, look, this horrible thing happened and you can't hold me to keeping up with everything right now. So you know, it would almost be an opportunity to tell the world to back off. Uh, but they didn't. We had 84% of respondents who said stayed the same or increased. So that that really struck us. Uh, and then the second one that, that has really struck me is, so we asked about along which, what I would consider like dimensions of sustainability people's firms show commitment to, and that can be, um, you know, carbon emissions, you know, it's kind of for your audience, a uh, particular interest, but, you know, also things like social justice, we, we included in the questions, uh, water quality, a host of issues, and the, the increase year on year in respondents' interest in social issues also struck me. You know, it, it seemed possible that we would find out that supply chain sustainability means this to supply chain professionals, and that's not going to change year after year. But we didn't find it, at least in asking the same questions two years in a row. We found that our 2021 survey, which or our 2021 report, which means we're talking about results from a survey administered in September of 2020, people were more interested in or more committed to social issues in their supply chain than they were in the previous year. That's where the biggest increase was. So that struck me too, that, that sustainability may not be set in stone what it is and the role of the social issues may be increasing. Sure. And that, you know, a lot of those findings make sense anecdotally from the macro that we saw last year from the the ongoing social justice issues here in the U.S. specifically over the summer, as well as, you know, the clean air in the skies as industries were forced to shut down in lots of parts of the world, right? Um, that That's a great point. I hadn't thought of that one. So so I thought for sure that, that what was going on in the news in September around, you know, is really all of us, I think, across political spectrum, wherever you are on that, we're forced to really think about, you know, at least in the United States and globally, I think it was happening too, you know, where we're at as a society. And so I thought, you know, maybe that's, we asked people about what they think the world should be like at a time when we were really forced to think, where are we at on that measure? But I didn't think about, that's a great point, that there was also a freeze in production and travel around that time that may have given respondents the sense that, you know, the air pollution isn't as bad right now as it's been before. So <laughs> that's why I'm shifting over. That's an interesting, interesting idea. Sure. Yeah, picture's worth a thousand words, right? If you see a picture of Mumbai, you know, in the summer last year relative to the year before, it's a, it's a very different picture. How, um, maybe take a step back real quick before we move forward, who participates in the survey, in the survey, and how do you guys track, um, you know, um, which sector and which uh, level of respondents, things like that? Excellent, excellent. So it's, it's an anonymous survey that we distribute basically through uh, anyone can fill it out. 
and and we encourage you to and to to connect with us online so that when the next survey comes out, you know, all your listeners, if, if they would fill it out, we would love it. So anyone can fill it out. Last year, we had around 2,400 survey respondents, which is a doubling from the first year. Uh, and then they self-identify by age, business function, and industry. And in that, I know you, you and I had talked about some of the, the interesting analysis to take up by industry. So I had that handy and knowing you were thinking of it. Um, I think our respondent industry kind of reflects our Center for Transportation and Logistics um, audience in that we're manufacturing heavy, transportation and warehousing heavy, and consulting heavy. When we think about some of the other findings you have, I'm interested in focusing and dialing it towards the freight and transportation piece. Um, you know, the suppliers that may be interacting with these manufacturers or these firms that set commitments. How, how should we view the freight participants' response to those commitments? Are we seeing people investing in response to their customers looking for more as it relates to sustainability initiatives? Gosh, that, that's a great question. So just on the, on the researcher side, so it's always, you know, the, as someone who's passionate about this, but also trying to conduct a, as objective research as I can, I want to make sure I, I draw those lines. Definitely. And not, definitely. You know, influence respondents, but we'll interpret it ourselves. Yeah. Excellent. We'll, we'll, yes. We'll, we'll, we'll paint in the picture you draw for us. <laughs> excellent. That's, that's the goal. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, gosh. So, so the first thing that your question tells me, just as I wear the researcher hat is that we need in next year's survey to draw a distinction that we didn't draw. And the first thing I think is that we ask people about their firm's commitment to supply chain sustainability, but I don't know that we clearly dif differentiate, and I'm thinking about logistics and transportation professionals specifically right now, between their firm's internal behaviors to just be a more sustainable trucking company versus their firm's efforts to market differentiate by offering the most sustainable product. And your question makes me really wish we had. So, so we, we, we don't have that. Um, so that's one part of the response. I think when you think about where should freight carriers and logistics professionals, you know, do these responses translate to them? They do, I think, because they make up most of our audience. But we don't know for sure from this, were they saying, yeah, my firm does things internally to be more sustainable or yeah, my firm is trying to differentiate itself as being the sustainable carrier of choice, for example. Important distinctions, and I look forward to seeing my question and being called out <laughs> thank next you. year thank when, you. That, when that report survey comes out. I'll encourage people to fill it out. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Oh, please do. Please do. And that's how it gets better. You know, it's conversations like this that I was thinking, though, I guess a couple of things that we I think we can infer. Uh, one, and this is from, so the report has the survey component. But it also has um, in-depth executive interview components where we we do an interview with an executive and really try to distill their wisdom about the situation. And I think, you know, if anyone, when we talk about where the pressure to make sustainability a priority comes from, uh, we hear that from investors, you know, so there's investor pressure on firms to take this seriously. From customers, there's you know, just customers who are looking for this and asking about this. And an interesting one to me, and I think it in part explains some of our results, people leading firms know that having a solid sustainability profile helps them attract talent when they're recruiting and hiring. And so I guess that makes me think, 
you know, if those are three critical pressures to want to do this, well, then I think we can say everyone faces one, if not all three of those, you know, the shipper side, the carrier side, the 3PL side. So, so I think the pressures that our respondents tell us are important face, you know, all the players in the logistics supply chain. Totally agree. And that's a reason I believe that this trend doesn't stop and why COVID couldn't stop it, right? As something as monumental as that pandemic we had couldn't slow this down. I, I do think what you're saying, the pressures are, if, if anything, only intensifying, which sort of leads to my next question is now that you have pressures on um, industry practitioners to implement change, what are some of the practices that you're starting to see respondents leaning into and how are those changing? Sure, sure. So the 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 biggest thing, and, and this is another, I think, value of the survey that you know is maybe underappreciated in at least in academic circles, maybe in practitioner circles more more useful, but just that the supplier code of conduct is kind of the table stakes for the game. So we see uh, most of the respondents saying, well, that's what we do. We have a code of conduct and we expect our suppliers to abide by these you know, certain measures. Uh, we, we saw that auditing of that went down uh, in this year's report compared to the first year's. But I think some of that is just, you know, natural pandemic related travel. Inability to travel. And, yeah. 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 But and I guess where, where I think, though, that that it could go. And again, this is just me having fun being passionate about the topic, but the only the research will bear out if this is true or not, is that there's been some interpretation of our results, which I think is fair, is that it says, is that really enough? Can can a big shipper or a big brand just say like, yeah, we you know, we made these rules and and we tell people they better follow. So we've done our part right. And I think the the criticism that that's not enough is is a fair one. But also strategically, that's kind of fighting on your back heels. You know, that's not trying to find market, find a market niche or find uh, a way to differentiate your product through its sustainability profile. That's almost just sort of saying, hey, we told our suppliers to be good people. What else do you want from us? And I, and I think <laughs> I, I think they're, the fact that, that, you know, the groups like yours want to talk to us about the report and, and companies want to sponsor our research on this report means to me that forward-looking people are seeing the opportunity for market differentiation by their sustainability profile. And if that's the case, you can't be fighting on your heels. You know, you've got to be on your front feet and aggressive. And if it's aggressive, I think we move beyond just the supplier code of conduct. We move into really more integrated supplier development strategies. We move into, you know, maybe even more tightly knit um, networks of you know, shippers, carriers, 3PLs that are kind of coming together to make the emergent networks of sustainability solutions. I, I think that, that if I were designing it, that's where the pressures that don't seem to be letting up would lead me to go. What a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for I, being interested. I, you know, I am in agreement. One, that it's a monumental amount of collaboration cross-competition that will be needed and and the questions from even those outside the industry or in the industry is always easy to poke at yeah legally you're doing what you're what you can do right if you define the boundary at where your door ends you can't control what happens outside your own house but if as we've seen with the shell ruling in denmark right that they've got to be held legally accountable within their country for their emissions reductions targets for their not just 
manufacturing operations, but their downstream end use combustion of their products that is fully beyond the boundary of their house and their lot line and even maybe even <laughs> full property. The question is starting to become, you know, where where do we incent and and how do we have a carrot or stick approach that's going to actually make a difference in reducing emissions if if we're specifically talking about emissions here. I think a question that logically follows from your your point there is how do we how do we engage how do we engage the the long tail of smaller providers in this highly fragmented space? Is it through just ongoing surveying and amplification of the message like on this show? Or do we do we really see an appetite for industry and the largest shippers and their suppliers to really bring together the ecosystem to drive change? And I'm thinking for like a Walmart project gigaton as an example, right? Somebody who partners with an outside specialist to help their suppliers get change by scaling up a solution. Like that is what freight needs. I just, is the appetite there. So I guess two two things come to mind. And, and again, I'm going to do that nervous researcher caveat that, you know, please read the report and come to your own conclusions. Now, you know, we're just chatting. <laughs> but uh, uh, so on, on the small business side, and, and this is maybe just a little bit outside of freight, but I think when we think about on what measures do we consider something uh, a contributor to a sustainable business model, I think we think about you know, fuel burn, fuel emissions, and impact on the local communities. Small business, no one has told the story of small business as a solution along those metrics convincingly enough, because I think that it is, you know, if you think about boring stuff that I buy, like dress shoes, like if I, if I order those online, my belief is, although, you know, it's not my study, or I haven't done that study, although I think people are working on it, that, you know, that, the freight burden of sending something back and forth through online shopping versus just going to a small town shop to actually get it is, is much lesser. And so I think there's potential there for, for the small businesses. And, and our survey did show that smaller businesses showed more of a um, pullback of their sustainability efforts during COVID than did larger businesses. So we know they're having a challenge. And I guess I think that if someone would just articulate the case that small businesses are in their own way sustainability solutions, they could be brought more into the fold. And the other thing that it makes me think, you know, and I think like like about Toyota and, and the way Toyota really changed quality in auto manufacturing. And they really, and I say this as, you know, personally a Ford guy, I like Fords, but like Toyota kind of ate all of the big three auto manufacturers lunch, even in our own country with their own manufacturing. And they did it by revolutionizing quality. And I think they revolutionized quality by building these, what they called Koretsu relationships with their suppliers, where there was one mission, quality and cost reduction. And they were going to work with those suppliers in tight, tight networks. And they're going to make it worth their while to do it. And that's how they, you know, achieve the great successes they did, making, you know, Camry wildly successful and wildly affordable, reliable car. And I guess it just makes me think that maybe what you said gives me this notion if, if firms are serious about it, maybe like a sustainability Kuretsu, like all of these partners coming together to say, you know, it's a little, it's a little radical, but how do we come together to harmonize our whole system to, to meet our sustainability goals? Absolutely. I hope there's an appetite in the industry for us to, to accomplish such a thing. Do you, 
maybe as a question to take away before we wrap up would be coming in with fresh eyes here, any predictions for next year's report based on what we're seeing happen in the freight industry and then supply chains in 2021? Yeah, gosh. So, so a couple, we'll couple things. It, so, yeah, yeah. Well, first, just just I'll share some things I'm excited about. Uh, <clears throat> the first, we're working on international translations. So, if the teams and I can get it done, we won't just be sending an English language survey to English readers. You know, we're going to go Chinese and Spanish. So, if we do that, then we can think about and we can analyze how people all over the world are thinking about this stuff, which is a much more relevant scale to today's supply chain. So stay tuned. We're, we're working hard. Uh, second thing, um, it will be a real telling question of, did the social impact grow because it's always growing or did it grow because of the year that was when we asked the question? So we'll only know by asking the third year. So that's not really a prediction. That's just like a, as a researcher looking forward to that, and then as a prediction, I think one of the things we did was we used a, a, a unsupervised machine learning algorithm uh, called K-means clustering to cluster respondents into like leaders. We went across six and there's some who are leaders and some who really don't care. I saw that. It, it was a really neat thing and shout out to our student, Jason, who did that work. Uh, I think the leader group will grow. And I think it, that would be another data point. So I said, you know, like our data points are you know, Freight Waves wants to talk to us and some people want to sponsor us. So there's interest. But another data point will be if if that if that circle grows, that cluster grows, which I believe it will, but we'll hold me to monitoring it, we'll have more evidence that, that progressive uh, or, you know, uh, forward thinking managers are putting their resources into more supply chain sustainability. Man, I hope that prediction comes true. Let's get all those let's get all those small and medium firms out of low effort and beyond dreamer and into to high effort. Sorry. That's I'm exactly it. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking I'm looking at the chart that Jason put together. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know it was K means, but I'm happy to say I know what that means. After that's SD four X class. Yeah. That's SD four X. And that's a good good place for us to end <laughs> to wrap and say thank you for coming on and breaking down a complex subject into some bite-sized nuggets for our listeners. We've got to have you back on again, at least after next year's report findings come out, and we'll make sure we plug the report in the notes for the show so that anyone who listens can have a quick access to it. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure chatting as always, Tyler. And and uh, anyone who wants to read the report, yeah, please check it out and stay in touch. And, and I look forward to talking with you again. Where can our listeners find you? How can they connect? So, so the report is at sscs.mit.edu, State of Supply Chain Sustainability. Uh, I'm David Carell, uh, easy to find, two R's, two L's, C-O-R-R-E-L-L, at MITCTL. Awesome. Thanks, David. This was fun. We'll do it again. Hey, thank Norfolk you. Southern isn't just in the business of moving freight. They're in the business of a better planet. To learn more about Norfolk Southern's industry-leading sustainability initiatives, go to nscorp.com slash better planet.